Let's pray as we come to read from God's holy word. Heavenly Father, I don't know about this being the highlight of our week, but we do love to read your word together as the church. We do love to hear from you. I thank you that you are a God who has revealed himself to us. You've told us your name so that we might praise and worship you and be in relationship with you. And you've also given us your word in the Bible so that we can understand more about you, grow in our knowledge and love for Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, and grow as Christians as well. And so, Lord, I just pray that that is what would happen during this time, that you would move, you would speak, and we would grow in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm excited this morning to preach to you, to share with you a love story. Isn't that exciting? A love story. Admittedly, a rather bizarre and quite unusual love story that we're going to read together this morning, but a love story all the same, because I'm preaching from Ruth chapter 3 and the story of Ruth proposing to Boaz. We've been in a Ruth sermon series. Um, So over the last couple of weeks, I've preached on the first two chapters of this story. You can go online and watch or listen to those sermons. But um, we're in Ruth chapter three today. But before I read that story, before I read to you the love story from Ruth three, you're going to need some context to understand what's going on in Ruth chapter 3. In fact, I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis. I'm not going to go through every chapter of the Bible from Genesis all the way through, but I am going to give you some context before I read from Ruth chapter 3. So let's go back to Genesis. When God created Adam and Eve, he gives them a purpose. And the purpose that he gives to Adam and Eve, this is what God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So in the Old Testament, one of the central purposes of humanity, one of the central purposes of marriage was to have kids, to be fruitful and to fill the earth with the human race. Now let me just give you a very quick aside. Um, In the New Testament, in the Great Commission, Jesus switches that up. He changes it around in a sense. We no longer necessarily need to be fruitful by having children in the New Testament, but we are fruitful by making disciples. This is what Jesus says in the New Testament in the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And so we, it's not physical reproduction, it's spiritual reproduction by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you are not a Christian here this morning, you are so welcome. Thank you for being here. But we want to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is that news, that God loves you, that he wants you to come into a relationship with him. And because he loves you, because he wants to be in relationship with you, he sent a saviour in his son Jesus. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and he rose again in glory to new life. And all who trust in Christ are reconciled with God the Father. And so if you're not a Christian, I would urge you this morning Come be made a disciple in a sense this morning. Believe in Christ and receive salvation. Enter into the love of God. And if you're a Christian, you have a purpose. Right at the heart of who you are should be this great commission that Christ has given to all his disciples. He's given to you that you might be fruitful by making disciples, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Anyway, that was an aside. I'm off track. Let's get back in the Old Testament and back to the purpose of God 
to get married and have children that, that God gives to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. But that leaves me with a big question. If that is one of the purposes of humanity, what happens when a husband dies leaving a wife without any children? That's what's happened in the book of Ruth so far, in Ruth chapter 1 and Ruth chapter 2. The tragedy of chapter 1, there's a famine in the land of Egypt and Marlon, the son of Naomi, the husband of Ruth, dies and his brother Kilion also dies. So there's a tragedy and Ruth is, is left without a husband and without any children. But Ruth lovingly stays and cares for her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth returns with Naomi to the town of Bethlehem. And although she is left husbandless and childless, she devotes herself to serving this lady, Naomi. Now that must have been very painful and difficult for Ruth. Imagining what the future would hold for her. Is the rest of her life just going to be serving and looking after Naomi? Is that what God has for her forever? It must have been a painful and difficult time. There might even have been a sense of failure within her. Well, if God's purpose is, is that we'd be fruitful and multiply, well, I haven't, that hasn't happened for me, Ruth might think, in the middle of this story. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to her? Well, fortunately for Ruth, there is a law that God provides to the Israelite people that speaks directly into her situation. I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy 25, and I'm going to read verses 5 and 6. This is what God says. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger, her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Now, that's probably quite a strange law to our modern day ears, but it's a law of provision for Ruth that she might not live her whole life childless, that she, she might not feel this sense of failure her whole life, but there's a provision, a way of her bearing children, and the child that she bears will continue the family name. Now, I believe everything that happens in Ruth chapter 3 that I'm about to read to you is a consequence of that law, is a living out of that law. And so this bizarre proposal, the story that I'm about to read, flows from applying that law to Ruth's situation. So let's read Ruth chapter 3 and this bizarre love story, this bizarre proposal. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. 
At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before no one could recognise another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And when she went, uh, then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, you must not go, em- you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Well, how does this story speak to us in 2022? It feels so far removed from our dating culture and the way we do relationships, doesn't it? Well, does it have anything at all to say to us? in this day and age? Well, I believe that it does. I believe that this passage of scripture that I just read to you speaks to us about the transforming power of God. I believe that that story I've read to you speaks to us about the covenant of marriage. I believe it speaks to us about the covenant love of God for his people. I believe it speaks to us as uh, into purity and what righteousness looks like. And I think it also reveals Boaz as a redeemer. And Boaz as a redeemer points to God and Christ as our redeemer. So I think there's loads in there. It might sound like a really weird story, but I think there's loads in there to unpack. And I want to unpack this story with three sections this morning. The first section I've called the transformation of Naomi. The second section is Ruth's proposal. And the third section is Boaz's righteousness. So let's start by thinking about the transformation of Naomi. I don't know if you followed the series so far, isn't it extraordinary how much Naomi has been transformed by chapter three? Do you remember chapter one? Naomi was talking to Ruth and and Naomi was saying to Ruth, don't come with me. Don't stay with me. Go back to Moab. Go back to your foreign gods. Go back to your home and find a husband in Moab. Don't come with me. Naomi says to Ruth, I have nothing to offer you. I have no hope. She says, it is exceedingly bitter to me what has happened to me. So in chapter one, Naomi is hopeless and wants Ruth to desert her and leave her alone. In the grief of her husband dying and her sons dying, she has no hope and no plan. But in chapter two, God showed his kindness to Naomi and Ruth. He provided for this family with the food that they needed Ruth has been faithful to Naomi. She was stubborn. She says, no, I'm coming with you. I'm staying with you. And now in chapter three, Naomi is transformed. Now Naomi wants to help Ruth. 
She has a plan. It's a slightly odd plan, but she has a plan to help her daughter-in-law, Ruth. If you're going through um, grief now in your life, God wants you to know he will turn this around for good, just like he does with Naomi. He turns her around, he transforms her, he heals her in a sense. And you know, we can know as Christians that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. Isn't that just a tremendous, tremendous promise? I really believe that when we go through challenges and struggles, God transforms us and helps us so that one day we come to a place where just like Naomi, we can show compassion and care for others. We go through suffering and we receive the comfort from God in order that we might then comfort and help others. And this is what's happened to Naomi. She's been transformed into one who has no hope And now she is one who's seeking the good for Ruth. She wants to help her daughter-in-law. And so she says in verse 1, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? You can see the care in Naomi for Ruth. You can see the compassion and the love in that first verse, in that offer. Now we know that in that verse, in verse 1, Naomi is talking about marriage. She's talking about marriage. And she describes marriage as rest and says it will be for Ruth's good. I want you to get married so that it will be well for you. Now, just so you know, I asked Rachel whether she thought of marriage to me as being restful. And she asked me whether I was joking. So there's obviously um, some things that I need to work on as as a husband. You know, the Bible describes singleness as a gift. The Apostle Paul, speaking of his singleness in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7 says, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And Jesus Christ himself, of course, lived a celibate single life while he was here on the earth. So we know that singleness is a good gift from God. And we have some wonderful single people in this church. But here in this verse, Naomi speaks about marriage as a gift. In particular, she speaks of marriage as a gift for wives. Marriage should be a rest for wives in that a wife comes under the love, care, comfort, protection and provision of a husband. That's what this story, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, this is what this story is about, is Ruth coming under the care, comfort, protection and provision of Boaz. To be at rest as a wife in your marriage to say, I know with this man, I am safe, I am loved, I am comforted, he has concern from me. And so I think this verse is a challenge for husbands. I, I think this husband offers us as husband, uh, offers us as husbands a crucially important but challenging question. Are you labouring to love, care, cherish and protect your wife so that she can truly say, I am at rest with him. Being married to this man is restful in some sense for me. Perhaps, this might be dangerous, but I'm going to do this, right? Perhaps tonight you ought to ask your wives, how can I make marriage more restful for you as husbands? That would be a good question to ask your wife, husbands. And hopefully you get a slightly more helpful answer than I got initially when I suggested to Rachel that marriage should be a rest. Wives, if you have such a husband as Boaz, one who does make marriage restful. I would, encourage you to see, I would encourage you to see your marriage as a gift from God. That is for your good, 
that it may go, go well with you. That's what Naomi, Naomi has lost her husband. Her husband's died and she's left a widow, but she still knows that marriage is a good gift for a wife. And so she said she, she wants Ruth to enter into this rest and that it might go well with her. And so if you're a wife in that situation, be thankful to God for your spouse. Now, since this passage speaks so positively about marriage, I don't want to dwell on how sin corrupts this beautiful picture of rest and goodness. But we know that that's true, that many marriages are corrupted and made difficult through sin. And so all I'll say is this. If, if you read this verse, and for you it's a painful and sad verse, because that's not your experience of marriage, please come and seek prayer. Come and speak to someone you trust in the room. Come and speak to me if you'd like. We'd love to help you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pastor you through pain. I appreciate that that verse, for some people, they're going, actually, God has blessed me. I've got uh, an okay husband who's doing all right. Or I've got a fantastic wife. And you think, brilliant, fantastic. But for others, that verse might be painful. And we don't want to leave you left just to wander home. So please come and ask for prayer. Naomi sees that marriage is a good gift. And so she comes up with a plan for Ruth that she would go and propose to Boaz. He is a relative. He can fulfill Deuteronomy 25. He can be a redeemer and they can get married and have children and continue the family name. And so Naomi comes up with this plan. You need to wash. You need to have a bath, Ruth. You need to anoint yourself with oil. You need to put on some nice clothes, Ruth. You need to scrub yourself up. And then you need to go down to the threshing floor and you need to see where Boaz will lie down and then wait until the men have finished eating and drinking and gone to bed. And then I want you to lie at Boaz's feet, uncover the feet and then he's going to wake up at some point, presumably because his feet are cold and he's going to tell you what to do. What a great plan, Naomi. In no way should this plan serve as an example for how single ladies should seek a husband in this church. I feel like I just need to say that just in case anyone's thinking, this is my new plan that I'm going to take on board. Um, In fact, if you listen to sermons on Ruth chapter 3, some preachers spend their entire sermon criticising Naomi and saying that Naomi's plan was sinful. Some preachers think that Naomi dresses Ruth up nice to seduce Boaz so they can have sex and then Boaz would have to marry her. That's how some people interpret this passage. That's how bizarre the plan is and how weird the plan is. Um, Now, I want to see Naomi's plan a little bit more charitably than that. I think, I, I, don't, I say again, it's not a plan to copy at all, but I think that Naomi trusts in Boaz's character and Boaz's righteousness. And she knows nothing untoward is going to happen because of the righteousness of this man who is well known for his love for God. And I think she creates a proposal moment with beautiful theological imagery. We're going to unpack some of that beautiful theological imagery. So I want to read Naomi's plan a bit charitably. I don't think this is a go on, seduce him, have sex with him, then he'll have to marry you. I think this is, we know Boaz. I know he's not going to do anything wrong here. And I want to, I, I'm going to create a moment for Boaz and Ruth together. So now then, let's look at Ruth's proposal in verses 7 to 11. Ruth does exactly as Naomi has told her. She lies down at Boaz's feet, she uncovers his feet and she waits for him to wake up. And at midnight, Boaz is startled and he does wake up. I really enjoy that verse in the story. He's startled, 
behold, there's a woman at his feet. I just imagine that moment for Boaz. What is going on here? And he says, who are you? That's, that's what, but that, I don't know whether that, that's the question Ruth really wanted to hear in that moment. Who are you? But that's the question she gets asked. Who are you? And Ruth answers in verse nine. And we're going to look in, at verse nine in more detail in a second. But look first with me at verse 10. So Ruth answers the question, who are you? And then Boaz says, this kindness, Ruth, that you are showing is greater than the first. You have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. You've shown kindness to me. You've shown kindness to Naomi by keeping marriage within the family. And you've shown kindness to your late husband. You're following the commands of Deuteronomy 25. This proposal, Ruth, that you have offered is a great kindness to lots and lots of different people. And essentially what Boaz's response in verse 10 tells us is that this is precisely how he's interpreted what Ruth has done. Ruth has proposed in verse 9. That's how he understands what Ruth says in verse 9. And of course, Boaz's answer is a, is a bit of a mixture, isn't it? It's kind of, yes, I, saw, I sort of want to, but there's a relative who's closer. And so we need to ask him first and then we'll follow the commands of God. But let's look at the words Ruth uses when she proposes. I wonder whether there's anyone who's been proposed to in the room who can remember the words that were spoken to you in, in that moment. I, Rachel's shaking her head and I can't remember what I said either. All I know is that I was knelt down in the sand on a beach and my, my knee was getting very covered with wet sand. Um, but it was, a love, it was a wonderful moment. It was a beautiful moment, but we can't remember what was said. I wonder whether there's anyone who can remember the words that were said. That's a, a, an amazing, beautiful moment, isn't it, the proposal? This is what Ruth says when she proposes. Firstly, she says, I am Ruth, your servant. And again, in the second sentence, she uses the word servant to describe herself. I think this is why she's been told to lie at Boaz's feet. It's a sign of submission. It's a sign of servant heartedness. I'm lying here because I know I want to serve you as a husband. This is one of the reasons why Ruth is such a hero of the Old Testament. She's always looking to serve. Isn't that what happened in chapter one? Naomi's left by herself and Ruth says, I want to serve you. I want to love you. She's got such a servant heart. In chapter two, Ruth's the one who volunteers to go and glean food so that Ruth and Naomi can continue to eat. She loves to serve. And here now in chapter three, she's lying at Boaz's feet saying, I'm Ruth, your servant. And she calls herself a servant again. Ruth should serve as an example to us on what servant-heartedness really looks like. And I said this last week, but I'll say it again. Jesus Christ is also one who came to serve. And so if he is our Lord, if he is our King, if we follow him, then our lives should look like the lives of a servant. We love to bless other people. So that's the first thing Ruth says. I'm Ruth, your servant. And then the second thing she says is, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, the word that Ruth use, uses for wings can also mean corners of a garment. And so this is why Ruth has uncovered Boaz's feet. Boaz was probably lying under his garment, under his cloak, and his feet are getting cold. And so the idea is that Boaz would respond by saying yes and use his garment to cover up Ruth as, he, as she lays at his feet. Do you remember last week where Boaz uses very, very similar language to speak to Ruth? Ruth says to Boaz 
when she's gleaning from his field. Why have I found favour in your sight? And this is how Boaz responds. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So when Ruth uses these words, spread your wings over me that I might take refuge, spread your wings over your servant, she's reflecting back theological words that Boaz has already spoken to Ruth. I think there's a romantic element here, isn't there? These are words that you've spoken to me and comforted me with, the refuge of God, the wings of Christ over me. And now I'm going to use these words to also ask for your hand in marriage. I just think, I think there's something beautifully theologically romantic. I wasn't that theological when I proposed, but maybe I wish I was because there's something romantic about that. But there's also a deep theological element to what Ruth says. Ruth understands that just as God shelters and protects and loves all who come to him, this is the gospel, isn't it? Come to God by faith in Jesus Christ and God will shelter you. He will wrap his wings around you. He will offer you loving protection even into eternity. If you are a Christian here, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God has his wings around you forever and ever and ever and he will never let you go. He will never remove his wings. He will never remove his love and protection for you. This is the good news of Christianity. But Ruth understands just as God shelters, protects and loves, so good husbands are a picture of the gospel since they take their wives under their provision and their care. And so my hope and prayer is, is that as we look at the husbands in this church, though they may not be perfect, in their love and kindness for their wife, they are showing the gospel. They're showing the love of Christ. They're showing the care of Christ. Husbands, another challenge for you. I wonder whether people would look at you and the way you conduct yourself in your marriage and say there is a picture of the refuge that God gives to all Christians. Now, just to show you that I haven't made this idea up of God spreading his wings over his children. I want to read from Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 8 to 14. Ezekiel 16, 8 to 14. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel. And this is what he says. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment or my wings over you. And covered your nakedness. I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off the blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bra bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendour that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Do you see, God uses a metaphor to describe his entire relationship with the nation Israel. And he says, 
I am like a loving husband to you, Israel. And I've taken my garment, I've taken my wings, and I've spread them over you. And I've provided for you and given you everything you need so that you should shine with beauty. And other nations look in and say, see how beautiful this nation of Israel is. Such is the provision and kindness of God for this nation. He is such a glorious husband and therefore God will receive the worship and the adoration due his name because of his kindness, because of his compassion passion because of his wings wrapped around Israel his wife because of his garment covering her up God is like a husband in the way he loves his people and he's covered his people with his garment as wings over them and this I think is the primary thing we should take away from Ruth chapter 3 not that Naomi comes with comes up with a slightly bizarre plan. Not that Ruth is very servant-hearted, although she is. This is. The primary thing we should take from Ruth 3 isn't a challenge to husbands, but rather the primary thing we need to take away from Ruth 3, Ruth 3 is the covenant love of God. Like a husband, like a perfect husband's love for his wife. So is God towards you and me. I wonder whether you've whether truly lived in that picture of God's love for you and love for us together as his people. Such is his care, such is his concern. God loves you so deeply and so wonderfully. You know, every day I'm learning just how deeply God loves me. And this picture is part of that lesson, part of this growth. And I want us daily to be growing in understanding of just how much God loves us. Hey, we've got the youth in this morning. I want to say to you, youth, do you know that tomorrow, not just this morning when you're in church, is God loving you, but tomorrow when you're in school, God so loves you. He's watching over you. He goes with you. He's spreading his wings over you and being with you, showing you great love in every place that you go. And so in this story, so in this story, Boaz becomes a picture of the love of God spreading his garment, spreading his wings over Ruth as God spreads his wings and spreads his garment over his people. Now next week, we're going to consider in more detail how Boaz is, as a redeemer, a picture of Christ, the ultimate redeemer. He di- Christ dies on the cross in order to redeem us from the law, in order to redeem us from slavery to sin. He rescues us. And we're going to focus on that next week. So I'm going into what I'm going to talk about next week in, in Ruth chapter 4. But Boaz shows us a picture of Christ. We look at Boaz as a redeemer and we see Jesus, our awesome redeemer, who has saved us. But given that Boaz is a picture of Christ, a picture of God, it's so important, my third and final point today. My third section, Boaz's righteousness. Chapter 3, Ruth 3 ends with Boaz doing all the right things. He does not sleep with or rape Ruth in this environment. He is pure. Did you know in chapter 2, when we read Ruth chapter 2, there are two references to men assaulting women. And those references are put in chapter 2 deliberately so that when we come to Ruth chapter 3, we see how different Boaz is in his righteousness. The other men in Israel are not holy men. They are aggressive men and they do terrible things to ladies in Israel. But not Boaz. Boaz is pure and good and righteous and treats Ruth with the honour and the respect that she needs. 
There's a remarkable contrast that here in this moment, at midnight, in the middle of the night, Boaz is pure and honourable. The second thing we see about Boaz is that Boaz obeys God's law concerning redeemers. So in verse 12, Boaz says there's another redeemer who's closer. And I can imagine Boaz's heart at this moment. Boaz's heart is going, I want to marry you, Ruth. I really, really do. But there is a closer relative and we've got to obey God's law. And so we're going to have to go through the right steps here. I'm going to have to talk to this guy and ask if he wants to redeem you. Um, before me. And I can imagine Boaz's heart going, no, I just want to say, yeah, I just want to get married. You know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that he doesn't wait around the next morning. Boaz is straight away to go and sort the issue. That's what Naomi says. Boaz isn't going to wait, Ruth. Don't worry. He's going to get this sorted today. Um, so you can imagine in this moment, Boaz wants to say just yes immediately. But actually, he says, we must obey the law of God. Boaz also shows his righteousness in verse 13. He promises he will redeem her if, if this other redeemer says no. He doesn't leave Ruth thinking, oh, if the first guy says no, then Boaz might say no as well. He doesn't leave Ruth fretting and worrying, but Ruth is compassionate towards her and says, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you if this other guy doesn't. In verse 14, Bo- Boaz sends Ruth on her way early to protect her reputation and once again shows his glorious righteousness. And in verse 15, Ruth, uh, Boaz sends Ruth with an abundance of food. She's not going to have to work today. She has the food that she needs. And she goes back to Naomi with so much stuff. And so in every way in Ruth chapter 3, Boaz is shown to be righteous. He's pure. He's good. He's kind. Isn't that the way Boaz has been portrayed throughout this story? He's righteous. He's kind. He's caring. And in this sense, he is an excellent picture of God, our Redeemer, who stretches out his garment and invites us to believe in him, worship him and come under his protection and love. Do you know there are some people, some non-Christians, some unbelievers who think if there is a God, he must be wicked and unkind. I wonder whether you've ever spoken to a non-Christian who's thought like that or watched um, there's a video of Stephen Fry doing the rounds on Twitter at the moment of him saying if God does exist he must be really really unkind and cruel oh, Stephen Fry hasn't really read the Bible and understood the God of this book the God who we know the God who we love and worship they someone who thinks that might think that coming under God's wings is all about control is all about restriction is all about ruining our lives but again That is not who God is. That is not the God who I know and love and worship. Do you know his kindness knows no bounds? God's kindness knows no bounds. His love is steadfast and immovable. It's not like this morning because you're in church, God loves you 100%, but later on when you mess up, he loves you 90% and slowly it depletes until you get to Saturday evening and you're at 1 or 2%. No, God is steadfast and immovable. He loves you 100%, 100% of the time because that's who he is. It comes out of who he is. He's the God of love. His protection is impenetrable. He is the Lord who provides. He will always give you the things that you need. He is gentle and kind in everything that he does. I love the Lord, but I know that his love for me surpasses my love for him because he is such a loving and glorious God. 
His judgments are true. When he speaks, it's always true and it's always good. And his instructions to us are always for our good. Do you know why God gives us instructions in the Bible? It's because he loves us and he wants the best for us. He cares about us. What kind of dad never gives any instructions to their children whatsoever? That's not a good dad. That's a, God, that's a dad who's failing to love. But our God gives us instructions because he loves us and he cares for us. And his instructions are always for our good. And so to come under the wings of our God is to truly find rest. And not just any old rest but an eternal rest that will go on forever, knowing God and enjoying his love and kindness day by day, forever and ever. To come under God's wings means it will go well with you. doesn't mean you won't ever suffer or go through difficulty, but God will work in all things for your good. So it will go well with you if you come to trust in our Lord. Naomi's picture of marriage in verse one turns out to actually be a picture of our relationship with God. And so we are so blessed by our awesome God as we shelter under his magnificent wings of love and kindness. Can I speak to you if you're not a Christian again? The best thing in my life unquestionably is God, that he loves me forever, that he is always with me. I have lots of good gifts in this life, but the very best thing is God. And it's not close. It's not close. He's so gloriously wonderful. So gloriously wonderful. If you're not a Christian, I urge you, believe in Christ. Enter into a relationship. Be reconciled with God the Father. And you will never regret it. Because God is so, so good. And if you are a Christian, isn't it a glorious salvation we have received? Don't we have a magnificent, loving God? Let's... Let's love being under his wings. Let's love being close to him in relationship with him through prayer and through all of life, really. God being with us through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Let's enjoy that. Let's love that because God loves us. I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that being under your wings, coming to trust in you, is a place of rest. We don't need to work that you would love us more because you, always, you already love us 100%. We know that you shelter us and you protect us and you keep us under the shadow of your wings, not just today, but into eternity forever and ever. And we know that that place is a place of receiving from your love, kindness, provision, comfort, compassion. And so we want to say, Lord, we love you. We love you so much. Thank you for this offer of shelter in the person of Jesus Christ. He died for us on the cross and rose again in power. Thank you for that. We love you so much. Lord, but we thank you that our love pales in comparison to your love that you have bestowed on us. And Lord, we we just want to say, may every day we enjoy and love this place of rest that we have come to under the shelter of your wings. Help us live in that place of closeness to you in all that we do and say. Every breath that we breathe is a breath breathed under the shelter and in the refuge of your garment, under the corners of your garment and under your wings. And we love that, Lord. What a place to do life. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.